Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody. Party on, Wayne. Thank you for downloading. As always, I'm Ash Rose, your advocate for all things football in the 1990s. And, and let me start. I don't like normally starting this podcast like this, but I feel like I must apologise for the lack of show last week. Unfortunately, I was struck down with a bit of a virus, nasty stomach bug that left me lying on the sofa last week. And all I could do was watch 1990s QPR season videos and, and some show about families starting new businesses abroad, new life in the sun or something. Quite entertaining when you're ill, though. But it meant we couldn't quite arrange for the show to be later in the week. So apologies. Apologies uh, for that. Hopefully it's just a one-off and uh, I'll be fighting fit for the rest of the season. But thank you for all your comments and shares on the last show we did, which was on video games. I know we waited a long time to do that and I think it's fair to say it was worth the wait and it was a top show. So thanks to the guys who were on for that show because we really did cover everything, just about, I think. I think there was no one on Twitter that mentioned a game we didn't at least say on air. So thank you for that. It was a lot of fun. So check it out if you haven't heard our video game show from a couple of weeks ago on iTunes. Of course, the most exciting thing to happen since our last show was the release of a new England kit. Okay, not exciting for everybody, but for someone like me who is obsessed with kits, I was very much glued uh, to everything on Friday when it was released. And well, what do you guys think of it? I mean, when I first saw it, I was actually quite impressed. A bit of a bold new look, but then quickly that really kind of left me because I just saw, again, it was another template that they've come up with, isn't it? And all the night kits for Euro 2016 look pretty much the same, which is so disappointing. Why do they do that? I always think, surely as a kit designer... It should be so exciting, an example of your I don't know, creative prowess, would we say, to design bespoke kits for every team rather than just one design which you change the colour. Baffles me, really does. Not like in the 1990s, is it? And obviously that brings me on to the point I wanted to make, and that is with the new England kit coming out, it brought up all these lists of past England kits, and, ready to, and I'm ready to name and shame both the Mirror and the Daily Mail, who both said that the 1992 England kit was one of the worst of all time. Scandalous. For those who can't quite remember that kit, it's the all sky blue one with the three lions completely across it. It's a beautiful kit. It's in my top three of the 90s and so original, not like everything we see today. And I can't believe it was bottom of some of those lists. Absolutely scandalous. Um, the home kit of that era is also a classic, along with the uh, Euro 96 home kit as well. I really love that. I think the only kit I always agree with on those worst kit lists is the Euro 96 away shirt. Actually, that great one. That was bad. I don't think anyone can say any otherwise on that. But I did bloody love the ridiculous goalie kit. It's the last full kit I think I bought as well. Yeah, I was a full kit bleep on that one. Anyway, that's enough about kits because you can listen to more on that on our kit episode back in August. So go back and have a look at that. Tonight, though, we're concentrating on magazines of the 90s. So, um, and for those of you who are not already aware, when I'm not daydreaming and talking about 1990s football, I'm actually the editor of Kick Magazine, which is one of the leading kids' football magazines on the market. And it's a role I feel very lucky to have, actually, because because as a kid, I actually loved magazines and obviously still do. Um, in fact, I can still remember the first football magazine I bought, which would have been in August 1990, fresh off the World Cup. And I was in a news agent called Predies. And for anyone who knows Welling area, which is Kent London borders, should remember it. I think it's now a... Um, discount store called aladdin's cave or something like that but it was a copy of match magazine which we will talk in great detail about in a bit uh with gary lineker on the front in a spurs kit and from that point on i, I couldn't actually go past a news agent without picking up a magazine it was kind of like a kid in a sweet shop for me it was magazines heaven every time i walk into a smith's or a big news agent's usually football as we'll talk in detail in a bit but also video games magazines like sega power and mean machines or games master uh, the wrestling magazines like the official WWE and WCW and Power Slam. Then it was Impact, which covered action films and later Total Film. Even the pop magazines had a way of finding themselves in my basket, like Smash Hits, Top of the Pops and Looking. Looking, remember Looking? Cool, that was very 90s. 
which to this day is why I love magazines and enjoy working in them and hate to, to see them close. Too many of them close these days. Some big boys have gone in the last sort of 18 months and it's really sad to see because I'm still very much the physical product man. I don't really enjoy the same feeling of reading the new, I don't know, 442, for example, on a tablet that I do of actual magazines. And as you'll hear on tonight's show, there were so many more magazines on football around in the 1990s. So hopefully we'll be able to share a few stories or two from them with some great guests as well, especially someone who worked on one of the big 1990s magazines who we'll speak to in just a bit firstly though here's how you can keep in touch with us you can follow us on twitter and on facebook at ak90s and keep any 90s images or questions coming in as we love to hear from you i put a load of magazines on there a couple of hours ago and you had some great response and yesterday when we tried to build up our debate of the match and shoot argument which we'll again go into in just a bit and if you want to listen to any of the previous, well, we 27 shows now, wow, it's gone so quickly, we're available on the website, on the SoundCloud, and of course on iTunes. And as I always say, and it does really help us, which is why I keep saying it, if you are on iTunes and you are a subscriber, if you could just leave us a little rating and even some sort of review, it would be great. And you can share your nostalgia trip with everyone. It would be fantastic for all. And also, there's a, we've got a quiz as well. I forgot to mention that earlier when I talked about video games. If you like your 90s video games and you enjoyed the pod, we have a little quiz on the website as well. Maybe have a go at that it's been called quite tough by some people on the internet so uh, have a little go yourself and see what you think and pop your little score on our twitter feed and hopefully uh, we'll see how you get on so let's flick through our magazines and meet tonight's guest then returning to the podcast after a brief absence it's writer for west london sport and a pretty much resigned villa fan andrew rayburn how you doing andy oh resigned relegated depressed whatever you call it much better in the 90s for Villa, eh? Uh, second time around as well for former shoot editor and now TalkSport digital director, Luton fan Ian Cruz. How you doing, Ian? I'm very well, thank you, Ash. How are you? Very well. Good to have you back. And finally, good, a voice you should be uh, very familiar with, uh, the man who was behind 90 Minutes magazine, which we'll talk very much in detail about in a bit, TalkSport's Paul Hawksby. How you doing, Paul? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ash. Not too bad. Good. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll get your uh, CVs in just a second. Before that, here's a few things. Well, it's more than a few things. Quite a lot, actually, that happened this week in the 1990s. On the 22nd of March, 94, you might have seen it on Twitter earlier, Eric Cantona is sent off for the second time in four days in a 2-2 draw with Arsenal at Highbury. On the 23rd of March, 98, Newcastle Chairman Freddie Shepard and Vice Chairman Douglas Hall stepped back following comments made to a secret interview to the News of the World. On the 24th of March, 1993, Matt Letizio misses the only penalty of his career in a 2-1 home defeat to Nottingham Forest. And you can hear Mark Crossley talk about that on our Maverick pod earlier in the season. On the 24th of March, 1996, Villa beat Leeds 3-0 to win the League Cup for a second time in three seasons. Again, another show you can listen to. We did League Cups earlier in the season, which Andrew was a part of as well. On the 24th of March, 1997, Robbie Fowler fails to convince ref Gerald Ashby not to give a penalty after his collision with David Seaman. 24th of March, 98, Paul Gascoigne returns to the Premier League by joining Middlesbrough for 3.5 million. 27th of March, 1994, Villa's first League Cup win of the decade as they beat Man United 3-1 at Wembley. And finally, on the 27th of March, 1997, Joe Royal quit Everton over a failure to bring back in signing Torre Andre Flo, who obviously went on to play for Chelsea. Um, so let's talk CVs. Andrew, you've done yours to death as we've had you on quite a lot. Um, we're on second time around with Ian, so we're talking games. So your favourite looting game of the 90s? Uh, well, we touched on this last time I was on with you, Ash, because we were talking about the FA Cup. Well, but I think I, I think it's got to be uh, the FA Cup quarterfinal uh, replay: Luton West Ham, nineteen ninety four, the famous night of Scott Oak's hat trick. Uh, it's got to be that one, I think. Yeah, big, big. We dipped out a lot, didn't we? Good old Scott Oaks. Whatever happened to him? We should get him on the podcast. We really should. Um, Favorite outside of Kenilworth Road, then? What would you say your game of the nineties is? 
I think it would be uh, England against Spain at Euro 96. Okay. Yep. Um, obviously, most people would go for either Holland or Scotland for that game for obvious reasons. Holland, England were sensational that night and Scotland was the, the Gascoigne goal. But uh, it, it may not have been, the, it certainly wasn't the best game of the tournament. England certainly wasn't England's best performance of the tournament. But uh, as someone who was kind of 21 and devastated when England went out of Italia 90, uh, the kind of the redemption of that afternoon with Stuart Pearce's penalty, the, the celebration, the, the look on his face uh, will always stick in my memory. And, you know, both Paul and I are lucky enough now to, to work with Stuart at Talk Sports, spent some time with him in Brazil at the World Cup and got to know him a little bit. He's a fantastic fella. He's a really nice guy. He's a very interesting bloke to talk to. Uh, and I was thrilled for him that day. And I'm glad that now I've got to know him a little bit. He's turned out to be the kind of guy you'd want to be thrilled for. So that's, that would be my uh, game of the 90s, I think. Good, good, good game. Yeah, we'll talk Euro 96. That's probably going to be our final pod of the season as since it'll be 20 years since that tournament uh, this summer. Absolutely, so yeah. That will be later in the show. Uh, Paul Hawksby, it's a warm welcome to you. And you're well known as being a Spurs fan. So mm-hmm. Spurs player of the 90s? Well, Spurs player of the 90s uh, would probably be my general player of the 90s, really. It would be, would be Gaza. I was lucky enough to watch him on a fairly regular basis for a couple of years. Uh, he was just sensational. I remember the cup run in uh, in 91, uh, yeah. uh, going right up to that uh, semi-final and the goal against Arsenal. He kept us in it against Oxford. He was brilliant against Portsmouth. It sounds like it was like a, a really easy run to the cup, but they were decent sides then. Yeah. I remember the game against Oxford. That game yeah. always sticks out for me when Gazza was, he was just instrumental that day, wasn't he? Oh, he was, say, throughout that run, even Notts County, we went 1-0 down. And uh, he got us back into the game. He was, yeah, he was just on fire. It was just destined to be really that. And then, of course, well, you felt that until it went completely pear-shaped in the final for him. But uh, yeah, he he was just it was a great. It was a great joy to watch. We'd had, we'd had Hoddle in the eighties and Gazza in the early nineties. It was brilliant. Mm. It was the game when Gazza scored that phenomenal goal. Paul, and it really kind of went from inside the Spurs half all the way through the Oxford defence. That was the one, wasn't it? That's right. It was. It was pre the. The injury, uh, where I think he lost a yard. Yeah. He lost that ability to get away from players, and that's why he became all elbows in later years. And he got a couple of, uh, I think, he got a couple of sendings off. Certainly bookings because he just he, he just couldn't get away from players. He didn't have that turn of speed, but then he could just leave people for dead. He was just so strong. He had great control, and uh, yeah, that whole run. I mean, he got a header against Portsmouth. I remember right. Yeah, yeah, I remember so, that. So, uh, so yeah, it was that was just an, an amazing run. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I'd say I'd say I'd say Gaza really. Yeah, I'm going to cheat slightly then. I know you said he would be your player overall, but other than Gascoigne, is there any other names from the '90s then you, you would say you, you liked as well from that? I, lo- I love Ginola. He ended up playing for us, but there yeah. was one game we played Newcastle on the telly, and we drew one all in the pouring rain. And there was one little moment where he was just down by the the, the sort of lower shelf, and he had a little thing going on with the fans there, and they were giving him a bit of good humoured clog. I think they could see that he was like a a Tottenham player in all but name. And so it was interesting that he turned up there. But he uh, he just had this little kind of thing going with them and was smiling and winking. And uh, and he was so such a wonderful player to watch, such a flair player. So uh, that's another one that really sprang on. So I was delighted when he when he came to us, relatively speaking, on the cheap. Yeah. My player of the year in 99, as we always say on this podcast as well. Oh, well. Baffles everyone since May United. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's talk magazines then. Uh, let's bring Andrew in because we, obviously we've talked CVs with you before, Andrew, but... It's talk magazines then. Um, we were speaking last night on Twitter. We, we opened the match versus shoot debate, and you mentioned you were a magazine whore. I think was the hashtag you used. Uh, what do you remember from the sort of your early days of magazine collecting? 
Um, well, I used to find Max and Shoot every Tuesday. Um, it would be, uh, I think, a highlight of most uh, most schoolboys' lives in the in the nineties. Um, in fact, I'm actually sitting with a copy of Match Magazine in front of me. Yeah. Um, it happens, unfortunately, to be from February two thousand, but it appears mm. to have just lying around. Um, yeah, it was. Um, I think people bought it for the um, posters and you know all the funny stuff and everything else. The one thing that I always loved though was the um, the team ladders. Yeah, um, which obviously used to they nicked those from shoot. <laughs> we'll get onto that, Ian. We'll get onto that. They, they they stole that. I'm not having that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it was in the first ever shoot, the old league ladders. That was yeah, definitely, I'm backing crazy up on that. They, 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 they it was did, a, it was a shoot idea. institution that was properly yeah. robbed. <laughs> well, I'd like to say it's still being robbed by Kick Magazine in this day. So thank you very <laughs> much. Shoot, so I'll, I'll admit to that. Um, so was you more of a match boy, Andrew? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think I preferred match over shoot, unfortunately. I won't, uh, won't, shouldn't say that too loud, but. Um, <laughs> See you, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I bought both. So, uh, <clears throat> and I think you probably bought them for different reasons, really. I think they were slightly different uh, titles. Um, I do remember sort of the match um, facts yeah. thing in the middle with the, all the um, results and stuff, and um, the. Uh, so you know, there was there was a lot of um, a lot of good things in, in both magazines. I should say, being diplomatic. Yeah. The early things I remember about matches: the match panda which used to be their mascot, which is very random. I think that was only... Because Match was the first well, magazine the, that I ever bought, and I remember the panda being in it. That was... Um, it was That was DJ Bear. It was DJ panda. Bear. DJ Bear. Bear. Yeah. It's a guy called Paul Trevelyan, who's an amazing fella. That's Paul right. Trevelyan is the guy that, that was mates with Dom Revy in the 70s and came up <laughs> with the idea of socks tags and going out for mm-hmm. these kind of warm-ups and all the high kicking. He sold that to Dom Revy. Uh, he's also a brilliant cartoonist. Yeah. He did all the You Are The Ref cartoons. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's Paul Trevelyan's Didn't idea. did you do the uh, pictures for Soccer Stars magazine as well, the posters he, that used to be in that? He did, yeah. He, yeah. he actually was DJ Bear, wasn't he? He, he was. He, he was in he the suit. He used to dress the in the character, didn't he? Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. If you ever hear Paul, yeah. he's got an amazing voice. He speaks like that. And he said, <laughs> I went along to the Football League and I said to him, we need a kind of character to bring all the kids together. And I thought, a panda. All kids love pandas. So that's, yeah, that's, and that, that's, that, uh, actually, I didn't know if I could do an impression of him. That's uncanny. It's like he's in the room. I thought, I thought it was Ken Livingston. Andy Jacobson's these impressions there, Paul, from there. Brilliant. Didn't think we'd add that tonight. An impression of Paul Trevelyan. Brilliant. Yeah, that's true. Well, we talk, let's talk uh, shoot, Ian, then, because you were part of the shoot world. Tell us how, sort of what era you were in and what the magazine was like under your guideship. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I joined there in, in 1990, funny enough. Uh, I, I was 21. I joined just after the, the World Cup. Uh, it was my first proper job. I came out of haters as a young reporter. I went to shoot, and it was, look, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I was there until 97, um, for reasons we won't go into on this podcast. Um, <laughs> and Paul knows what I'm talking about. Uh, and it, it was, I mean, it was it was the dream job you know i spent my to mid 20s uh swanning around the country swanning off abroad being into great places uh, uh interviewing premier league uh, premier league by after 92 obviously uh, footballers european stars it was it was fantastic and i think you look you look at them now and you sort of forget how much content yeah. was in those on a weekly basis you know there was proper run through articles you know 1500 word articles the sort of thing that people you know teenage kids now would never ever read um, because of, you know, it's obviously the internet generation, everybody wants anything, everything in 140 characters or less. 
uh, and you, you forget that they were they were proper, really well produced um, weekly football magazines. They, they were, and it was a, it was an absolutely tremendous time uh, to be working out. I, I look back on those days with great fondness. Yeah, and how for you would you say? I mean, I like Andrew. I collected both match and shoot. You know, I think I differed every year to what I actually preferred. But what was the differences from a shoot point of view to you and match? I think well, we went very thing. Even in the sort six seven years I was at shoot, we you know the period where we decided to take the magazine slightly older. I think mm. what that did that, that really. Uh, was the, the real differentiation between the two mags. And that's when they really started to, to drift apart. Shoot was targeting a slightly older audience. Match, if anything, went even younger. And they were they were looking to bring in kids of kind of six, seven, eight, whereas Shoot was targeting more of the 13, 14, 15 olds. And that was when the split really occurred. And that was when you could really see the editorial difference between between the two magazines. Uh, up until that point, I think, you know, they were they were... Both, you know, I mean, obviously I, I have a great fondness for Shoot because I worked there, I didn't work at Match, but I worked at Shoot with plenty of people who worked uh, for, at Match previously. And, you know, we were all on the same beat. You yeah. know, there was, there was a rivalry between the, mag- the magazines, but you know, off the pitch, so to speak, you know, we were all pretty good mates, really. So, Yeah. And why did Shoot never do Match Facts then? Because that seems to be one everyone remembers. Was that a, a decision well, we, you didn't want to copy? No, I mean, we, we did. Um, I can't. It was called Final Score. We did do it. Uh, it was, you know, for a while, it was the, the centre pages of the magazine, then it moved to the back. So we did do it. But, I mean, you know, they, whilst I'm claiming 100% ownership of Shoots League Ladders, uh, <laughs> I, I will give them match facts. And that is what you know, that is what their magazine was synonymous with, very famous for. And, you know, they did a fantastic job on those. They were, they were a really, really useful body of record and, you know, fair play to them for that. So. Well, let's move the, the argument to another title then. Before we spoke about 90 Minutes, Paul, um, you're obviously aware of Match and Shoot when, when it's decided to make 90 Minutes. Did yeah. you look at those two and decide to do something completely different or did you take elements from those magazines and bring them to 90 Minutes? Well, 90 Minutes started uh, in 1990, uh, be- just before the World Cup. It was a mad time to launch. I mean, I started it with a guy called Dan Goldstein. The two of us were in his back room in Blackheath in south-east London. And we tried to do an adult weekly. Um, it was it really wasn't aimed at shoot a match at all. It was trying to cater for a kind of adult market. Yeah. Um, and we, we were trying to run the business, write the magazine. It was kind of very sort of pioneering days of desktop publishing. We were able to, only able to do it because we produced it relatively cheaply. And after about four, four or five months, four months of it, I'd say, we were killing ourselves. We couldn't run the business write the magazine. We had some freelancers, some of which went on. People like Bill Burrows, who I've sort of known since those days, who went on to write for Loaded and Goal and, and other magazines, Sport Magazine as well. But uh, we went in search of help and we went to Dennis Publishing and we spent a little bit of time with them. Then then it, they felt it needed sort of targeting a little bit more. And I think we were aiming just a little bit older than Shoot and Match, just a little bit, a kind of late teenage market it's very hard to actually pinpoint exactly what you're going for because yeah. more switched on sort of younger kids might go for it or there could be some crossover with what shoot was trying to do but at that age about 1990 early 91 shoot was probably a little bit a little bit younger match even and younger as ian was saying so um it, it kind of developed really uh, when we we're at dennis publishing there was this idea some of our some of our editorial staff changed we had uh, Eleanor Levy and Andy Strickland come on. They both worked on Record Mirror. And I think we started to bring in a bit more of a kind of 
music magazine sensibility yeah. and that that then progressed into almost like a I suppose the sales line would have been a kind of smash hits for football. That's what we were. We wanted to produce something that was kind of funny and a bit irreverent. So I had the spirit of the fanzines, but was still quite mainstream and had some some good, hopefully some good writing in it as well. But made you laugh, was a lot of fun. And that's what we wanted. We wanted something that, that maybe had a little bit of edge to it, but still for quite a young market. Mm. We'll talk particular things about 90 Minutes in just a second. Let's bring Andrew back in. Andrew, what do you remember about 90 Minutes magazine as a, as a buyer like me in the 90s? Uh, the Spice Girls cover. Oh, that's I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. <laughs> but other than that, um, I mean, it was really it was diff- was kind of the next magazine you bought, didn't you? Like Paul was saying, it was that little bit older. It was kind of that little bit naughtier than Match and Shape. Yeah, it, it, and, and I mean, I think yeah, you start to once you start to get a certain age, you you sort of start to see through, um, you know, the the, the, the uh, younger magazines and what they do, and you want to buy something a little bit. Um, older and 90 minutes was certainly one of the ones that, that, that catered for that and um yeah and it's, it's 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 it was the it was the next level up if you like if match and shoot with the uh with, with, the, with the gateway magazines um to something like uh, 90 minutes that was where you uh, you went to next and um i also um i know we'll come on to other magazines but i also got uh, you know match of the day as well around the, mm. the late 90s and stuff so it was around that time i was 15 when the um when the 90s ended so it was that kind of i was that kind of age Good stuff. Well, we'll talk about that Spice Wars cover in just a second. But here's today's interview. Um, we spoke to him earlier in the week. He's former Norwich defender Ian Butterworth, who actually featured in our Alive a Kicking banner on the top of the Twitter page, as well as the advert, and played for Norwich in that famous night at Bayern Munich. Here he is talking to Alive and Kicking. Ian Butterworth, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us. No problem at all. Pleasure to be here. Good to speak to you. We're going to take you back to the 90s, and you're very much synonymous with Norwich City in that brilliant period in the early to mid 90s the start of sort of the premier league first season um norwich as well i mean going into that season under mike walker you ended up obviously a very successful season but did you have a feeling at the start of that campaign that this would be quite as big a success as it was not really no because i think the year before we'd only just survive relegation and um you know, it was uh, it was going to be a difficult. We thought it could be a difficult season, but we, and we also got after a bad bad start or a bad first forty five minutes. I remember at um, at Arsenal we were two 0 down, and then uh, um, all over the shop really we were. And it was a hot day, and we thought you know it's damage limitation. Went at half time, um, got ourselves together a little bit, and, and Mark Robbins uh, scored a hat trick, and we won three two, and it and it sort of <laughs> it carried on from there really, and it was. Uh, you know, really successful season for a, a, a small provincial club like we were, and um, you know we just we just uh, missed out at the end. I think we led the table with Aston Villa, Man United, right until sort of February March time. You know, and um, um, you know we just fizzled out towards the end. So it wasn't to be, but still a great season. What was it about that squad? You say obviously after that game, you kind of it was the beginning of something special between that squad was it kind of like a tight-knit group and everything just clicked yeah it possibly was we had we had five or six players who had been there for a few seasons myself uh, Ian Crook Mark Bowen Ian Culverhouse Brian Gunn um, we'd been Jerry Goss um, uh, you know we'd been together for a few seasons and then obviously um, Chris Sutton came in into it as well um, Real Fox um, yeah we had a good team spirit uh, some long journeys after games back back to Norfolk and mm. um, yeah it, it started it started in that second half at Arsenal and um, like you said we we nearly got there um, uh, a bit like 
probably a bit like Leicester this year. Yeah, really, yeah I was going to say that it's quite but a it looks like Leicester are going to carry on and win the title at the moment. But uh, no, we fizzled out and uh, we just didn't have enough really uh, uh, left in the tank really and um, possibly could have probably strengthened the side a little bit more in the, in the Christmas time, but we didn't. But um, no, we had some, some decent players. Um, you know, we had a good team spirit and um, it was an enjoyable year. Mm. And what was Mike Walker like to play under? Because Mike's a funny one, whereas he did so well at Norwich and then it didn't quite work out from Everton and we never really saw him again at management. Was it just kind of yeah. right club, right time for Mike? Yeah, possibly was. Yeah, he'd been in the in the, in the in control of the reserve team and, he, he you know, he came in after David Stringer and um, everyone liked Mike and um, he had some good ideas on the game and, um, like you said, he did really well and he got his move to, to Everton. And um, it didn't seem to work out for him, but that, that's manager, isn't it? Mm. You know, one year you, you do well, and next year something happens and you don't do so well. And um, yeah, but he was he was no problem to play under. Um, we had a lot of respect for him, and um, you know he did a good job at Norwich. He did indeed, yes. And we can't talk that period of Norwich without talking about the following season and that night in Munich. Um, you were part of the club at the <laughs> time as well. I mean. When the draw was first made, how excited were were you as a club to to you know for, to play the mighty Bayern Munich? Well, we could we could believe it really, could we? You know, to to you know we'd we'd uh, got through um, uh, we beat Vitesse uh, Arnhem, and then uh, we we were playing um, you know Bayern Munich. You know, and it's incredible that you know a side like Norwich could beat the giants of Europe. You know, it just like you say, it just clicked on the night over the two legs, and. Um, um, you know, it was a wonderful memory for the, for the club and for the players who played. Mm. Simple as that. Well, I imagine the parties were quite wild at the celebrations. Yeah, big well, the games. yeah. I remember really because we we didn't get back. Well, we had a late night after the game. I think it was on the Tuesday, uh, and we had to get back. We were playing Sheffield United away on the Saturday, and uh, we had to get ourselves together and, and get up from Norwich back up to Sheffield up north for the game. And we won. I don't know how we won two one at Sheffield because. Uh, we're still on a high, um, you know. A few drinks have gone down in them days, especially on the after the game as well. So uh, we did well to pull ourselves together and, and get the three points at Sheffield United. And um, yeah, a, a great occasion, you know. And um, you know, I think, I think we were the first, I think the first English side to win in the Olympic Stadium, weren't we? I think. Yeah, the, I think uh, that is. Yeah, I think that's the fact. Yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, you know, a great time. No, it was a great result as well. You went on to play in America. Um, in the 90s as well for Colorado Rapids. I mean, that's a very different to what we know of the MLS now. What was it like in the 90s, the league? It, yeah, it was the inaugural year. Um, I finished at Norwich. I had a, a, um, a water sports accident. I'd finished at Norwich and um, uh, I couldn't play again in the English system uh, because of the insurance um, legislation and regulations. And so I ended up going over to America. It was an enjoyable year. Uh, I wish I'd have stayed there a little bit longer. It was 96. I think it was, and it was the first year of the MLS, and it was a great experience again. It was a game playing. There was only ten teams, mm. five in the West section and five in the East. Then I think now they've got it up to about twenty now. Yeah, so yeah. It has kicked on a bit. The states has, and um, you know they were very, very fit and very into the football, but tactically they weren't the best. You know they needed more. They needed the help of maybe European players and to come into the system, integrate and um, uh, and get it there, and then obviously. There's some really big names who have gone over there recently, and um, and helped kick kick on a little bit, and uh, a great experience. It's, but it's it's a big country. I mean, you, away games, yeah, you're away for two and a half days. 
You know, it wasn't, uh, you know, our our local derby was Kansas City the next day. And, you know, that was like a, a two-hour flight away. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. incredible journeys, really. So, you, you used to get away and uh, that's it. Tell the missus I'll see you in three days. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you talk derbies there. Going back to Norwich, actually, one of our shows is going to be about rivalries. And it's obviously a massive rivalry between Norwich and Ipswich. And it was a game that the Sky TV, TV used to show quite a lot during the 90s, on like a Monday night or something. What... Describe the kind of rivalry for you, because I think outside of that area, people don't realise it's quite a heated rivalry, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not as big as the uh, Merseyside derby or Glasgow derby, but in that area, yeah, it's, it's, it's fiercely uh, competed by the two sides, really, and, and, the, and the fans hate each other as well. You know, we're about, about 44 miles apart, but um, really big rivalry, and, and they've had some good games over the, over the years, you know, and... Um, it's the, it's the farming derby, and it's the, it's uh, the tractor boys. Yes, and uh, you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it is. It's it's not it's not kind of bragging rights so the two cities are a little bit apart. It's not like the Man United thing or the Liverpool. But um, yeah, you really want to win that one, really, um, mm. because uh, there is a bit of rivalry between the fans. Mm. We can't talk nineties either without talking about nineties kits. And the Norwich had a particular <laughs> <laughs> one that they yeah. they monitored the the bird poo kit in later days, but the one they wore that that famous season. Do, do, what do players think when they see sort of designs that like that when they first oh, have to wear oh, it? Disastrous now, and it? It, it, well, it was the dodgy haircuts, including probably mine <laughs> as well. Dodgy strips as well. It, that, that was the nineties, wasn't it? That was uh, yeah. We had some horrendous kits at Norwich. I don't know. We got away with it, really. Looking back at it now, but um, at the time. I don't know. Someone must have designed it. Someone must have thought it was good. So uh, we had to wear it. But um, yeah, uh, you can't really. They've had so many, you know, the, the, that yellow and green. It's hard to do. Not my favourite. Co- yeah. yeah, not my favourite colours. And, you know, it's hard to uh, teeter about with it every single year, you know, to get a, a different blend or a different design. But um, no, that was a horrendous one, it really. <laughs> one of our favourites, though, it makes in the 90s the 90s. Who was you? Who would you say the, the best players you, you played with at Norwich and then the best players you played against of that period? Um, phew, well, we had some we had some decent players, you know. Um, I mean, Chris Sutton really mm. did well. Uh, he's talented now. He scored some goals, got his, got his big move to, 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 to Blackburn. Um, there was, there was. I mean, the Gary Linickers, you know, yeah. coming in and the, and the Ian Rushes, you know. I mean, you know, concentration had to be 100 percent all the time. You know, that, them sort of players and and, and strikers, especially as a defender, you, you you know, it just seemed to be attracted. The ball was attracted to Ian Rush in the penalty box. Linnicker had great pace, and um, there were some very good players in the, in the 90s. You know, it, it was. I think it was a great. It was a great, great period then mm. because. Sky had just come in, um, you know, and they were taking the, the game to a new level with all the analysis, you know, and always even kicked on from then. But, um, you know, it was all the razzmatazz coming in and, um, you know, it elevated it. And um, they still do a good job now, Sky do. And it was terrific for the game. And obviously salaries weren't as uh, as big as they are now. Um, and, I still, and I still think you've got a lot of players who just love playing football. Yeah. I mean, I did, as you know, I love the game and you love playing. You know, I obviously... You wanted a few quid in your pocket. That was the part of being a professional. But uh, you used to love the game. You didn't want, you know, you you enjoyed training. You enjoyed getting out there on a Saturday. You know, if you got beat, you had to pick yourself up. Sometimes you were rubbish, and sometimes you, you know you, you played well, and, and it was great. And but you know, it's great to be part of a team. Um, and I really enjoyed the time. I think it was a great uh, period. That was. 
Yeah, it definitely was. Well, and up to now, you're modern day. You're at QPR, and you're my team actually. I'm a QPR fan. You're a chief scout, oh, yeah. QPR, right. really, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sort of joint 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 head scout. Yeah, there's three of us. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've been here sort. Of it's my third season now, so seen some ups and downs, and um, as always, at uh, this road. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a. It's a yeah. I mean, um, yeah, we've had uh, we've had a few promotions, few relegations. Um, my first season, we we, we sort of got uh, promoted and relegated last year. We've had different managers, different personnel behind the scenes. It's been a you know a lot of changes. So uh, yeah, we keep going, and uh, like you say, it's a good little club, and. Um, Hopefully, with you know the owners have learned lessons, and we've all learned that you know, or the, or the owners who, you know, um, that we are what we are. Really, we can't be mm-hmm. an Arsenal or Tottenham, I don't think. Um, and uh, you know, the aim is really is to stabilise the club and um, get some better structure in the club, and, and hopefully, then uh, find ourselves back in the Premier League, which is a difficult thing to do. Brilliant. It's a very hard league, the Championship. Yeah, tough, very relentless. But well, thank you very much for, for joining us, Ian. It'd be great to, to look back on those memories. Nice memories there from Ian Butterworth, but let's carry on talking about 90 Minutes. And Andrew just mentioned it there before our interview and the famous Spice Girls cover. Then let's talk about that, Paul, because that is one that people seem to remember from the 90s. And it, obviously the it's fable goes that it's the cover that brought Posh and Bex together. Is that true? It is, yeah. Um, I wasn't editing a magazine then. I was sort of nominally editor-in-chief of the football titles at that stage. Jelan Alevi was the editor. And uh, an opportunity came up to interview the girls i said they were all football fans i think some were uh scary was a, a not really a sporty certainly was a liverpool fan but uh, it, it turned into a fairly light-hearted conversation some of it football related most of it about uh, they t- i think it was juliet wills who went along and, and did the interview she took along a bunch of pictures of footballers she thought it might be fun to show them to the girls and see what reaction they got and uh, she showed the picture of david beckham and victoria said uh Oh yeah, he's nice. Uh, I think I, I think I'd seen him uh, on the telly before. And then he read it. Uh, happened to see her in one of the boxes. She went to a Manchester United game, and she was in one of the boxes. And he started chatting her up. So really, Jules brought them together. She was uh, didn't get invited to the wedding. Didn't even get a sl- <laughs> didn't even get a slice of cake. But Juliet <laughs> Juliet was the one that kind of put the sort of seed in both of them. She yeah she. She kicked it all off. Yeah, very memorable cover in there. If yeah. kids. I mean, something I want to ask both you guys, um, especially from the different points of view in terms of age audience you guys have. Did you find in the 90s that football was more receptacle about doing different things in magazines? Because I've got a picture here of a 90 minutes cover of Darren Anderson holding a Postman Pat book. Yeah. It's not the sort of thing that you can get people, especially I know firsthand from working at a kids' magazine now, mm. uh, footballers to do. Did you find it easier to deal with footballers and things they would and wouldn't do in the 90s? Yeah, Ian, carry on. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly did. I mean, it was, it was very, we went through various different stages. I mean, when I first started doing this, you know, football, you had, there were no mobile phones. So you had yeah. a contacts book full of footballers' home numbers. They were relatively easy to get hold of. Then things changed. You had to go through their agents. Then things changed again. Everything was done through sportswear companies and it got more and more controlled. But in terms of getting people to do it, I mean, we had people posing with all sorts of things, uh, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, two of the covers that spring to mind from Shoot, one, I was freelancing there at the time, and one just towards the end of my time there. They were two April Fool's covers. Uh, first one in April 1990, we got Ian Rush dressed in an Everton shirt. Oh, I've seen that, uh, yeah. On the, on the cover, you know, world exclusive. Yeah. 
I signed to Everton at the time. He was, you know, the top striker in Europe. Obviously, you know, Liverpool to Everton. And the copy was stuff like, you know, they had better baked beans at the Everton training ground. The blue, he thought his wife, his hmm. wife said the blue brought the colour of his eyes out better than that. You know, this was one of the top players in England playing around with the idea of moving across Stanley Park to his club's most hated rivals. And seven years later, we did something. We, we went to David Platt, who was one of our columnists, and we approached him with the idea that we were going to run a, an April Fool's week. He was coming back to England. He was in Italy at the time. Uh, and he was going to buy um, crew. And he was like, yeah, I love the idea, but let's have it. I'm going to buy Aston Villa. And we got Doug Ellis involved. We had pictures of the two of them in the boardroom at Villa, shaking hands over a contract. It was stuff like that that you would never, ever get anyone to do now. Uh, mm. And it was, it was easier to deal with. Football, you know, whilst my time at shoot and pause at 90 minutes, we, it did straddle the, the start of the Premier League era. Uh, uh, the kind of money and the, the exposure wasn't around then. There wasn't social media. There wasn't the explosion of websites. There wasn't 24-hour rolling TV news. So, you know, people did consume their football media via newspapers and, and weekly magazines. It was a mm. very, very different time. Uh, I think it was a lot more fun in those days. I'm not sure I'd want to be trying to do it as much. Now, Ash, you obviously, have a, you're still doing it. With, you're doing it with kick. You know, you must find it more difficult than, than it used yeah, to be. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. That's the sort of thing, you know, you, you couldn't do now. It just wouldn't happen. There's too many loopholes you have to go through like you say with agents and everything else and clubs and stuff it's very difficult to even get a sort of straight normal interview let alone dress them up in whatever they want to yeah. do um paul do you think that's a bad thing do you think that kind of takes the fun out of magazines yeah I th- I, well to a certain extent i mean going on from what ian was saying there there if you we did a set of playing cards once, once in 90 minutes we gave them away and it, most of the time it was players footballers doing daft stuff it was people dressed in silly clothes I think we had Andy Gray with an axe in a lumberjack jacket. And, well, they, oh, they all came from Bob uh, Thomas's archive. Uh, and they were just old pictures. A lot of, Some of them were taken by a, a late great Monty Fresco, a brilliant photographer who took the picture of Gaza and, uh, and Vinnie Jones. Mm-hmm. But he would, Monty would say things like, yeah, so, so Forrest were in the cup final, of course, in 91. So you've got a picture of Roy Keane in a Robin Hood outfit. Imagine Roy King doing that by the time he got to Manchester <laughs> yeah. United. They wouldn't have done stuff like that. They would have, and, and as, as Cruzy said, people got it was much more controlling. People cared about their image more, and it did. It just started to change in in the late nineties. It used to become a bit more of a problem, which was frustrating. I mean, I, yeah, because I think we are the poorer for the fact the players are still the good players are still good characters, yeah. and the ones yeah. who are very confident in themselves will still do the occasional mad thing. But then maybe they'll do it on telly or they'll do it on a league of their own. They're not precious about their image in that environment. Mm. But, um, but a lot of the times it's the PRs that, 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 that kind of, they're the ones you have to get through. They're more grief than the players are, a bit like any yeah. industry, movies or anything else. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree Absolutely. 100%. Do you remember, I think it was a Peter Beardsley cover, Paul. I can't recall if it was 90 minutes. It might even have been in, in goal. Mm. And I seem to recall it was just a picture of him and that, you know, he had that famous haircut and if I recall the cover line was simply to be fair there's not a lot I can do with my hair and that was it (laughs) genius you know that sort of thing you just you would just never see that kind of thing now no I mean we having said that I used to do a column when we first started 90 minutes we got Peter Beardsley to do a column um and I would phone him and uh he, he would I'd say well this is what we're doing this week and he'd have a conversation about it 
uh, which I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, he, you know, uh, he wasn't the greatest columnist in the world. Uh, but <laughs> obviously. We, well, yeah, obviously, you know, I don't really mind. I'd say, well, I'm going to write this week about, oh, I don't really mind. <laughs> so I think yeah, he, he wasn't that particularly fast. But I, we used a picture of him playing for England and his agent phoned up and said, uh, can we find another picture? Because it, it does, he looks quite terrible in that picture. And I'm thinking... Bloody hell, we're going to have a hell of a search. Let's <laughs> go for a lot of pictures. Um, yeah, so, I mean, even then, even, oh, Peter was a bit precious about the image, even about 1991. Mm. Yeah, but I remember doing something with Newcastle. We'd, I can't remember exactly what the series was called, but we basically used to go up to players' hometowns and they'd, you know, they'd drive us around through their old kind of a journey through their through their childhood and we did it mm. you know St James's Park we took him back to Walls End Boys Club and stuff like that we had pictures of him on the Time Bridge and he spent all day with myself and the photographer Dave Davis driving us around Newcastle in his own car nobody else just the three of us it was yeah. I mean it was a fantastically fun day and you know that was just it there was no there was no entourage there was nothing like that uh, and people you know th- this was again it'd be as he one of the you know half of England's brilliant strike force with Gary Lineker at that period mm. Just yeah. naturally driving us around, posing for photographs, chatting away. It it was it was it was. I know I've said it before, but they were very different times. Hmm. Andrew, do you think that it was more fun reading those sort of magazines in the nineties for you as a consumer? Well, yeah, and I've got a bone to pick with Ian for a start because uh, as a Villa fan, um, that David Platt thing uh, had me hook, line, and sinker originally. <laughs> but um, I do remember that you um, uh, there was always like a you know next um, next week um, sort of. Um, throw forward and whatever on further back and I do remember quite clearly now you mentioned it um that the uh the, the reveal if you like for the April Fool was uh, was done on you know so you see see page whatever for uh, yeah. the, the, the more details on how David Platt's going to take over at Villa and I was like ah okay maybe it's maybe it's not quite uh, quite the case um yeah no I think I think um oh, sorry Ash I completely forgot your original question no? more fun in the 90s footballers in the magazines yeah, I think um, uh, yeah, I think they're as 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 was said. Uh, you know, they they are prepared to do stuff, um, but as long as it's there's something, it seems to be anyway. As long as there's something in it for them at the end of it, you know, uh, improving. You know, on telly, if you like, there's a, there's always something um, to sort of boost their profile. Um, but yeah, as you said, um, uh, you know, in the nineties, they they were they were more accessible and. Um, they were just prepared to take the mickey out of themselves, really, a little bit more than perhaps they might be today. Everything's so tightly controlled because, you know, you don't want to upset, you know, um, all the different uh, brands that are associated with them and this, this lot. And there wasn't as much of that. Um, you know, and I don't even know whether you could get away with ascribing, you know, speech bubbles to players' pictures anymore, you know. If, well, if we do know. it kick whether or not they like it or not. We just keep doing it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, with uh, with uh, ninety minutes and stuff, you had the uh, the picture of Darren Anderson with his uh, uh, post and Pat book. Of course, now at the moment, you've got Remy Gard with a Mickey Mouse outfit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> keep getting it modern there. Keep it nineties, Andrew. Uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about some other magazines that are around at the time. Um, some that I think probably were competition at the t- from monthly point of view for for you, Paul, because mm-hmm. Total Football launched in the mid nineties, which was also a little bit kind of more naughtier. I think they even used that word on the front of their cover. Do you remember Total Football? And did you see that as a uh, sort of monthly rival to 90 Minutes? Uh, not, I mean, really, by that stage, I think goal was, I mean, I remember, funny enough, when, when 442 came along, I, I'd gone out to have a drink with uh, our, our old boss, mine and Cruz's, David Smith. And we talked about 
the monthly market. We said, I think Loaded had just launched and had done very well. And we were kind of having this idea of, is there room for a monthly magazine in football? Would that work beyond world soccer, which we already had or something that was a yeah. bit more mainstream? And then about two weeks later, we found out the Haymarket were producing 4-4-2. Far too late, really, for to do anything about it that season. But the plan was to, to launch something the following season. Uh, I think Total Football probably came out around the same time as mm. Goal. They came out season after 4-4-2. So, to be honest, I, think we, I always saw... Oh, 442 was okay. Uh, sorry, uh, 442 was a good magazine. I think Total Football was okay, but I saw <clears> I saw 442 as the as the main competition, uh, certainly for goal in that market. Mm. Well, you talk about goal. We mentioned it on Twitter earlier. Nick mm. Godwin of the BBC. Yeah, it. I saw Nick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw that. How did that come about? Was it really just as you say to get a monthly version of 90 yeah. minutes? Well, it wasn't. Like, yeah, maybe it just to have a kind of a, a kind of nice glossy. If you think about it, that men's market with uh, FHM Road on the coattails of loaded that old men's market took off so you thought well why isn't there room for a uh, a decent quality good read specialist football magazine is the yeah. game so big so as a 442 saw that um sooner than we did and i think goal found it even though goal was well remembered as, as nick was saying there's it's well remembered and people liked it uh, we found it difficult you know to uh, to have 12 months as 442 to kind of dominate the market it was very difficult to to break in. So it was always playing catch up and saying total football was as well. But we just, you know, there was definitely a market. They proved it. I mean, the magazine has, the magazine has survived uh, yes, it has, brilliantly. Yeah. You know? and that, again, it was a bit like saying about the match guys. I knew Amy Lawrence and all those, all those people who worked on 442, although they were competition, we got on pretty well with them really as yeah. people. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, we were all, we were all doing the same jobs essentially, but yeah. you know, we were, you know, it wasn't. There's competition, but you know, it's it's competition that you can't control. You just do the best you can, what you what you can do. And I think with Paul talking about the launch of Goal, um, and I think IPC at the time, you know, the company we worked for was always relatively reactive rather than proactive. I think that would mm. be fair, wouldn't it, Paul? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. With the exception of the the launch of Loaded, which was the one big risk they took when I was in. It turned out to be the magazine success story of the 90s. But I think when when we launched Goal, I mean, I was still at IPC working uh, with Paul at the time, and we had this football group and we had all kind of all bases covered. As you mentioned soccer stars earlier, we had soccer yeah. stars, we had shoot, we had 90 minutes, we had goal, we had world soccer. So you've got the whole uh, remit, the whole gamut covered there really. But I think if, if, if we're honest, if we look back now, we kind of, we almost cut each other's throats to a certain degree because there was mm. so much of that going on within the one company yeah. that it was, it was quite hard to even, even resource were quite stretched poor, weren't they to be fair yeah, at that time yeah no it was I mean it's obviously when a new launch came along you'd see a lot of resource going into for that um, uh, uh, the trouble is that the market itself uh, died and people think oh was it the internet it wasn't video killed the radio star really it was the nationals it was the national yeah. newspapers latching on to the fact broadsheet and tabloid latching on to the fact that in around 96, 97 that this was that football was now big business uh, and it deserved uh, a Monday pullout that had all the stats, all the information. Yeah. Uh, as I said, broadsheet and tabloid, so every base was covered. So certainly from the weeklies' point of view, it certainly killed the weeklies' market, and it and it shrunk the monthlies' market, which is why having had that extra year to establish itself, four four two, and also working for a leaner, smaller publishing company yeah. than than IPC, which obviously you carried you carried IPC's big overhead in everything you did, you know, whereas yeah. Haymarket was, it's not a small company, but it was certainly a lot smaller than IPC mm. and it was a lot leaner and it could move quicker and it could absorb a little bit more. And so it, 
it was kind of it was the it was the newspapers, not the internet, that really did for the football magazine yeah, market. Paul, Paul's right. I think once the tabloids started doing those, uh, we uh, you know twice, once weekly, twice weekly pullouts. Yeah. That, once once newspaper publishers realised that you could sell newspapers by what was in the back of the book rather than the front of the book, that mm. was really, uh, as Paul just described, the beginning of the end for for some of those titles yeah which is why you see now that 442 really is the only sort of adult football magazine left the kids market is which i work in is, is quite crowded but because kids still want that physical product but mm. nowadays you look at 442 they stand alone world soccer is still going but it doesn't yeah. get the yeah. same readership yeah. as it did back in the 90s as all the magazines so it no. is a completely different era something i just wanted to ask because we're running out of time but i wanted to ask paul about 90 minutes something i always used to look forward to and this is a very random point from 90 minutes mm. is, uh, kind of time in the 90s with the calendars that used to, they used to do where you used to oh, take yeah. the uh, sort of theme I think one year you did movie stars and other pop mm. stars and you used to take footballers and I think was it Nick Davis was the artist yeah, that's his name that's great well he, did, he used to draw the damage in the box a little cartoon strip yeah. we did and uh, in the early days I would write it and um, Nick would draw them and it became more of a group effort later on that Andy Strickland or Dave Cottrell both worked on the mag they would write them as well and um, but, yeah, we'd write it, uh, Nick drew them. So we would just come up with a theme and we'd, we'd come up with a daft idea and Nick would go off and draw it. So they, they were always, yeah, that Christmas calendar always really did very well for yeah. us. I've got one in front of me here from the, the, the book that I wrote that's got Ian Dowie's Marilyn Monroe, which is oh, absolutely yeah. brilliant. <laughs> and Julian Dick's um, part of E17. I'll put them on Twitter later, but they, they were brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, and on the same time, we get, again, we mentioned soccer stars. Do you remember the colouring the footballer, Ian? That was something that used to be... Colouring the kit and design a kit, that used to be something a favourite of mine. Was that a... Yeah, yeah, we, we did I mean, we did a... <clears throat> I remember we did a brilliant um, competition, actually. Which, uh, it wasn't quite the colour of football kit. It was design a football booth. Yes. Uh, and whatever colour, you know, whatever colourway you wanted and everything, did it with balance. Um, and we, you know, it was, you design the boot, we will get it made. You, there will be only one pair of boots like this in the world. And uh, I took the winner up to... New Balance's factory, which was up in uh, Warrington. We went up there and the boot was made. Uh, we saw the boot being made and the, the final product was handed over by uh, Mark Bryant and Stan Collins. Oh. To the lucky kind of pink and yellow and green. Who knew that now everybody would be wearing them? Again, great competition really quite unique competition at the time we had, mm. we had thousands of interest for that yeah yeah just we, and you think colouring books are back as well I mean uh, there was just that adult colouring book that came out a little while ago which had like football commentators and it was a bizarre thing it was like that's talking about come full circle that, but that was yeah an, an adult colouring book for yeah Richard Keyes is in it and <laughs> it's bizarre you have to colour those ridiculously yeah. colourful jackets that you yeah. have in the early yeah. days of Sky. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we go, Andrew, you mentioned Match of the Day magazine earlier, which is obviously kids' mags now, but back in the 90s was an adult. Man, what do you remember of Match of the Day magazine, uh, Andrew? Um, I remember it being I remember it being really um, some good, really good features, actually. Um, a guy called um, uh, Spencer Vines used to do Mission Impossible, which was uh, always my... Uh, um, where he'd uh, be tasked with um, a football-related uh, mission. I think I remember him trying to buy Wembley Stadium when it was being knocked down. He was posing as a uh, um, as an investor to try and buy Wembley Stadium before he had to before he was rumbled. Um, there was always sort of uh, great features in there. They also used, uh, they also um, brought back uh, Roy the Rovers yes. for uh, Match of the Day magazine as well when it was there. They did, yeah, a very memorable um, name. 
Um, well, I'm say, another magazine I want to quickly mention, I don't know if you guys remember it, was the, an, the official England magazine that sort of made an appearance sort of in the late 90s, which was completely just England-based. Quite a good idea all the time, but it kind of went and then quickly didn't appear again. So that was something um, maybe tried again at the past. Um, there was also When Saturday Comes, of course, the great fanzine um, that was actually launched just in the early 90s, still going today, and still a great magazine, as well as a lot more fans. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you don't see them. Yeah, that's much. great, that is. Um, but yeah, final words. You I was involved in some conversations at one point when I, uh, IPC were considering buying, I mean, talk about the Empire Cruise, you know, there was a, I got involved in a conversation, they wanted to buy um, When Saturday Comes as well, but of course... Uh, Bit like by private eye, it's not for sale, not for sale to the men, as you can understand. But we had a good lunch, we had a good laugh, but they were never ever going to sell it to my PC. (laughs) That's kind of pleasing, though, isn't it? That to the even today's age, a magazine like When Saturday Comes, which is still in effect, a fanzine is still going because fanzines don't really exist anymore, do they? Yeah, so yeah, no, it's it's still has some great, it has great, you know, when Saturday comes, yeah, no, it's it's great, it's a bold sock. If you're properly niche, you can, you can still maintain your market to an extent i think a broad a broad football mag if you're launching people still do it though the interesting yeah. thing is people still think all i've got to do is launch a mag. football's big so i'll launch a magazine and it will be fine but it's really not that simple no well we've had a few recent launches in no. the last sort of few years like 24 7 football and football park like you say it's a very hard thing to do especially in this today's and age but it's not the 90s when it was yeah. its golden age and you share some great memories there is there anything else you guys I uh, wanted to mention before we go, let's start, Andrew, anything else magazine-wise you'd like to mention before we end the show? Um, no, no, I think, I think, I think we've, we've covered the no, ground. No, I, think we've co- I think we've pretty much covered it there, haven't we? So. That's what I like to hear, and there'll be no moaning on Twitter then. Well, that kind of sums up our pod for tonight. We looked back at some great magazines there, um, 90 Minutes, Shoot, Match, and all the rest. Uh, it just remains for me to say thank you to the guys there. I know there was a little bit of interference on what Ian was saying lastly there, but I hope you got it all. It was some great stuff from some memories of him, his time at Shoot Magazine. So thank you to Ian, Ian Cruz at TalkSport and also Paul Hawksby, who you must know from TalkSport in the afternoons. And Andrew Rayburn, of course, from West London Sport, who, like me, was a bit of a magazine fiend back in the 90s. Uh, before I go, I just want to give a shout out to another podcast uh, that I went on recently, uh, talked to 90s football and a bit more of everything else, football, wrestling, loads of stuff. It's the Monday Night Carlo. If you go on iTunes and search for that, you'll find the episode that I appeared on and the AK90 show where we talk more about 90s football, uh, a bit more on Roy Wegley, uh, whose birthday it was at the weekend, incidentally. Happy birthday to Roy Wegley. But until then, next week, I think we'll be talking France 98, um, but we'll double check with that. Keep your eye on Twitter to see uh, what the theme will be. But thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening. I've been Ash Rose. Keep it 90s. This podcast is a West 12 Media and Burble Media production.